Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. And welcome back. Brad, what is going on? Hey, Steve. It's good to be recording another episode with you. Um, not much. It's been a little bit of a struggle bus over here just to to get rolling. I think um, we're not at winter yet, but uh, we're getting close, at least psychologically. So things are requiring more activation energy. I think a big part of that is the fact that over here, the Stahlberg clan had gotten used to a reference point where COVID was effectively gone in our community, and now it is effectively roaring in our community. And with a little kiddo that is not yet old enough to be vaccinated, um, it's just kind of put limits on what we can actually do in the world. And then obviously some some psychological baggage just to, to not be able to completely let go of that. Oh, yes. It's like Groundhog's Day again. A repeat. Yeah, something like that. It's just taking longer and, and more energy to get going. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and I think that it was... Not only do we get a lot of feedback timely for our listeners, but certainly timely for me, uh, just not to judge it and to say, hey, a little bit more activation energy. This is a time for uh, for dipping into that well a bit. Yep, yep. If you haven't, go back and listen to that ap- episode where we talked about Mood Falls action and a lot of other good advice to get going, which I know Brad is is doing himself. Yeah. So before we get into today's topic, we just want to encourage everybody to pre-order our new book, The Practice of Groundedness. It comes out in less than two weeks. And if you pre-order, you get all kinds of neat bonuses, eBooks, guides, training guides, um, a quote book, a Spotify playlist, an extended reading list, a whole bunch of real good stuff. And uh, those pre-orders also go a long way to help us. The publishing industry loves to see momentum behind a book even before it comes out. And most important, we think it's a really good book. We think that it will help readers, certainly helped us to research and, and, and report and write it. So head over to www.thegrowthequation.com. No, I just missed that up. Steve's nodding his head. Take two. Hopefully, you guys are paying close attention. Head over to www.thegrowtheq.com, and it will be apparent how you can pre-order that book. As you can tell from my gaffe, we are not professional marketers. We don't take sponsors on this podcast. We try to keep things informal, family-oriented, and um, 100% independent. So your support of the book goes a long way to helping us do that. So check out The Practice of Groundedness at www.thegrowtheq.com. We really hope that you pre-order, enjoy all the special bonuses, and the book will be on your doorstep in uh, in less than two weeks. All right. Yeah, we don't want to send people to a website we don't own. That could uh, that could be bad dealings there. So, right, the growth equation, especially, I, I it could go in <laughs> multiple interesting yeah. directions. Some of which are probably rated beyond R. <laughs> That's right. Don't get us into trouble, Brad. And you know, with that, there's no great transition except today. 
we're going to have a little bit of fun. You know, Brad talked about how struggle to get going and all that stuff. I um, mean, I think that's a, a feeling that we're all feeling. I, I feel it right now as I thought, man, I got to get to work today. And instead, I just kind of did nothing until this podcast. So we're going to talk about greatness. Okay. What does it take to be great? And how do we define that? And in particular, we're going to have this fun, age-old conversation, which has really no point or meaning, but I think you can pull some lessons out of it, which is how do we define and who is the greatest of all time? Correct. And we're going to do this in the realm of sports because it's a little bit more constrained than just saying who is the greatest human being of all time. Um, although that would certainly be interesting too. So the genesis for this conversation is a few weeks ago, Eliud Kipchoge won the Olympic gold medal in the marathon. Steve can give you all the stats, but basically this guy has dominated the sport of marathon running for the last decade. Um, winning basically every single major race, nearly every single time he lines up. And Steve went to the internet, as one does, and made a bold, provocative statement, as one does, saying that Eliud Kipchoge is the greatest athlete of all time. And three hours later, I get a little uh, text, because I don't go to CNN.com from a friend, that's like, yo, your boy Steve is on the front page of CNN.com. And my first thought is, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, what did Steve do? So I head over to CNN.com, and sure enough, there it is. Elliot Kipchoge is the greatest athlete of all time, according to this performance coach. So um, the internet was into the provocative you know, framing. They took the bait and ran with it, and we figured we'd use this time to deconstruct, well, what went into that thought, and, um, and just to have some fun with it. So... Um, Steve, why don't you kind of set the table as quick as you can? Because while some of our listeners love running, many don't. Like, who is Eliud Kipchoge and why did you tell the internet that? And why did CNN care? Yeah. So two things. First off, I think it's important stating this from the front. Um, I'm not sure if he's really the greatest of all time or not. I think it's impossible to know that. It's impossible to compare. This is a fun little argument, and the internet being what it is, it was fun to put it out in the world and see what happened. So Kipchoge, who is he? Um, he is obviously a a runner, Kenyan runner, who has been in the sport actually at a high level all the way going back, gosh, two decades now. I think he won his first major thing on in the sport was he won the 2003 World Championships on the track in the 5K. But his claim to fame, although he was a very good track runner, his claim to fame really took off uh, once we got into the 2010s where he took to the marathon, immediately connected with it, and has been essentially dominant to a level that is unprecedented in the world of marathoning. He's won you know, the marathon majors, which if you're a tennis fan or a golf fan, would be equivalent to their majors like Berlin Marathon or London Marathon, Berlin Marathon. He's won them multiple times, right? He's two-time Olympic champ in the two marathons he's run in the Olympics 2016 and 
2021. And the you might know him well from breaking the two-hour barrier in that kind of contrived um, attempt to go sub two with Pacers and not in a legal race, but still ran under two hours. He also holds the marathon world record in a legitimate marathon race, two hours, one minute and 39 seconds. Just absolutely phenomenal. And I think the the reason I said this to unpack it a little bit is if you look at his marathon record, I think he's run, gosh, um, 17 marathons in this past decade. He's only lost two of them. One was his second one, which he got second in and barely lost to at then the world record holder who has subsequently been banned for whereabouts findings. So that, and then more recently in 2020, during COVID, he placed eighth at the London Marathon where he had some uh, some issues in the race. But besides that, he's won every single race. And in dominating fashion, fast times, tactical races, everything. And I think there's a couple different reasons that I think is are important here to, to get out on the table here. Is the marathon is not dominated but like that. Because it is a two-hour race where there are so many points of failure, so many ways that things can go wrong, right? From muscles to fatigue to overheating to diet to cramps to nutrition everything right can go wrong so you just don't see this level of consistent dominance and then the second thing that i i I think is really important here is this is the sport of running it is global everybody can do it everybody at some point in the playground in pe walking running to somewhere you find out if you're fast or not there's a low barrier to entry and pretty much you can you can guarantee not guarantee but there's a high likelihood that anybody who is good at running is at least has at least tried it yeah so before you get into those criteria let's throw out some other names that i immediately called you and said well if we're gonna play this game here's who i'd add in the mix and then i think you also got some people making comments um to you via like notes and email and whatnot so my immediate thoughts were Tom Brady, Serena Williams, Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, and then upon further thinking, Pele. Any other names come along, Steve, um, to you from other folks? Sure. Um, in the track world, since this is my world, I'll throw in Carl Lewis, four gold medals in the long jump added in. You know, that's 16 years of dominance. Uh, Usain Bolt, you know, won three Olympic games in the 100. And then Edwin Moses, who went like 10 years without losing a race. Outside of the track world, the two interesting names that got thrown out to me uh, repetitively in sports that I don't know much about are cricketer Donald Bradman, and then Greco-Roman wrestler Alexander Carolyn. All right. And those two guys are dominant. And then another name that someone mentioned was Joe Lewis, which then made me think of uh, Floyd Mayweather. And we're not judging the greatest person of all time. Remember, this is the greatest athlete of all time. 
Uh, Floyd's pretty remarkable as well. I don't think he's ever lost a boxing match that he cares about. Maybe never. So Tom Brady's won a handful of Super Bowls. All the Boston folks are going to get mad. I don't know the exact number or the Tampa folks now. Something like five or six. Jordan won six NBA championships. Um, Serena Williams has won, I don't know how many majors, 21, 22, something insane like that, maybe more. Steve's doing a fact check on me right here. Um, He'll get back to you with that. Michael Phelps and Katie Ledecky both weigh themselves down with gold medals. Um, And Carl Lewis, as Steve said, won four medals over 16 years. That's pretty impressive. So... Can I get a fact check on Serena, Steve? How many? Yeah, majors? I'm gonna add some real more stats. Uh, Serena Williams, 23 Grand yeah. Slams. I thought it was 22. Okay, 23. One more than I thought. Yeah. Uh, the wrestler I mentioned, uh, three gold medals and a silver from 1988 all the way to 2000, and has a record of like 280 wins or something and like a handful of losses. So all these athletes are clearly extraordinary in their respective sports in in respective time periods. I think you could throw LeBron James to that list as well. Um, Wayne Gretzky. So I don't think it makes any sense to try to determine based on their winnings, who's the best because you just can't. They've all won extraordinary amounts. That's why they're in this conversation. So I think the the path that Steve was starting to take, which is maybe more intellectually interesting, is which of these sports has the greatest amount of access, so the greatest participation pool in the sport, and... Also, which of these sports attracts the greatest athletes? So to be clear, it could be that running has the greatest participation pool because anyone can run, but all the best runners when they're young go into soccer because there's more money to be made in soccer. It could be argued that the best athletes in the world right now are all in the NBA because the mix of size, strength, and skill that that sport demands. So there's like different roads or different cuts, I guess, to get at this problem. Yeah, exactly. So I think this is the more interesting point because we like to think in our sport that like, or in any field, that the best in that field is the best that, you know, walks the earth on this, right? That Michael Phelps is the best swimmer um, in the world when he was competing. And that's entirely possible. But it's also entirely possible that you know, the fastest sprinter, the best golfer, the best, you know, whatever is doing something else, is doing another sport or simply doesn't have access to that sport. And I think this is where it's interesting. And to those who might say, oh, no, that doesn't occur. I mean, my, you know, if you go back in history, right, and if you go back to, I don't know, the 1960s or whatever, and you say whoever or let's do this. A uh, well-known example. If you go back to the 1950s and you say, oh, Roger Bannister was the first miler to go sub four in the mile. Was he the fastest miler on the planet at that point, talent-wise, able to do that? Probably not. Because like, without too much of a doubt, there was probably some you know, young 
man in Kenya or Ethiopia who had no access to the sport at that time who probably had the talent and ability to run faster than Bannister did. Um, So that's just an example. But I think if you look across these different sports, it's access, likelihood based on um, financial incentives and all that stuff. And then you can also see where these skills translate. And I think this is the interesting part. So if we take uh, the best sprinters, Usain Bolt, right? Are the best sprinters all in sprinting? Ease of sport. Everybody knows if they're fast or not, especially in sprinting. Everyone sprints at some point. So the talent identification is easy. Maybe the easiest in the world, right? Everybody knows if you're the fastest on your block or not. The problem with sprinting lies in do the best, most talented, fastest people stay in it? And to a degree, yes, like Bolt was a superstar and he stayed in it. But you have other people, like let's use a, an example, Tyree Kill, who plays in the NFL, right? He was a 100-meter champ um, in juniors for, for the U.S. So one of the best sprinters in the country for, we'll call it high school-aged athletes. He went into football. Uh, right, which then begs the question is, is, sorry to interject, but I just don't want to lose Like, is an NFL cornerback better than the best sprinter in the world when we talk about the best athlete? Yeah, I don't think you can go there. Okay. Right? Because it's like, it, it's like we're talking at the, like Tyree Kill might have the possibility, but you're talking about one person, right? Or sure. a handful of people. So they Tyree- can also catch the football. Right. So Tyree Kill might have an argument, right? Because he legitimately probably could be a, could have been a world-class athlete or a world-class sprinter. And he is legitimately one of the best in the world in football. Or, you know, the other example I was going to give is RG3, Robert Griffin. Like before he got hurt, he was like just, you know, fractions of a second off breaking the high school 300-meter hurdle record. So you have a world-class hurdler with speed who then becomes world-class, you know, quarterback before he got hurt. Like that's the skill set that where you're just sitting like, you know, obviously injuries, et cetera. But from a talent standpoint, you know, I don't know if you can get better than that. Mm-hmm. And and then though you're also so you're I get the the chance of switching in the original point that you were making. Sorry for for interrupting there. I just wanted to like you know throw that out about well are, is is any run of the mill cornerback have a claim to this? Because not only are they so fast, but they can react and catch a football. The the other question that often comes up is well how are you defining athlete? Is it just dominance at their sport, and is that the framework that we're using because Otherwise, it's hard to argue that Eliud Kipchoge is a better athlete than LeBron James. It's hard to argue that anyone is a better athlete than LeBron James because most people think of athlete. There are a few people that are going to be like, what about the guy that won the CrossFit Games? Well, they'll take LeBron James. Uh, It's hard to imagine the combination of power, speed, strength, endurance, skill, and poise beyond LeBron. And I even say above MJ, if we're just talking athlete, MJ might be a better basketball player, but to me, LeBron's a better athlete. 
Yeah, I think that's an important distinction because, you know, I I don't obviously I don't think if we're talking the athlete, Kipchoge is not the best athlete. You know, I framed it as dominance in their sport of their choosing, you know. But if we look at best athlete, yeah, I mean I would I would have loved to see uh, you know, in another life LeBron James train for a decathlon versus Ashton Eaton. Or Michael Vick. Yeah, or Michael Vick. Right. Because then again, like could have been phenomenal. You just don't know. But I think that is an important distinction there because like even Jordan, like Jordan, I think is a little bit lesser of an athlete if we're defining in this range than LeBron, but like he's still mid career switched to baseball and he wasn't great, but he was capable of being a minor league baseball player, which is something that very few people on the planet are capable of doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And you often hear that LeBron could be like the best tight end in the NFL. Obviously he hasn't tried that, but it's easy to imagine. Or you just go back to, you know, if we're defining it, like if we're switching over to the greatest athlete, then it's like, it's hard to get over Bo Jackson. Deion Sanders. Yeah. You know, Deion Sanders would be up there too. I think Bo Jackson was like, you know, he had world-class speed, world-class football ability and world-class baseball ability. Well, all-star, all-star level at all. If, you know, was able to do them, which is pretty phenomenal, you know. And then where do decathletes come in? So you mentioned Ashton Eden, our boy Trey Hardy. Trey, if you're listening, we love you. Um, where do where do people that win multiple world championships or Olympic medals in decathlon? Because, you know, when you mentioned the decathlon, my guess is like Trey or Ashton in their prime would still whoop LeBron's ass in the decathlon. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's, I think the athletes are one of the most underappreciated athletes now. They used to be like in in Bruce Jenner's day, you know, when he won. Like it was you win the decathlon, decathlon and you're the greatest athlete in the world. Like that was the label, you know. Um and looking at the performances, again, I'm track biased, but to see someone like Ashton or Trey Hardy or whoever else we have out there, like throw heavy objects really freaking far, like run 45 second 400s, which is nuts, right? And Ashton Eaton's and still come back and run a 1500 equivalent of like a, you know, a 430 ish mile at is, is crazy to me. And it's hard to comp. It's hard to put that into perspective of what a LeBron does or what a Bo Jackson Jackson did or other athletes like that. You know, when you mentioned Bruce Jenner, it made me think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, because now Caitlyn Jenner may be the next governor of California, and I thought back to wow, California picks very interesting people for governor, and then you get Arnold who won every single Mister Olympia. And sure, they were like prodigiously using steroids, but that's a part of that sport, one could argue. So maybe you throw Arnold in the list. Although I don't think Arnold could walk around the block back then without having an aneurysm. Um, but this is why Steve said it's going to be a fun conversation. So 
Back to Aliud, and the reason I kind of moved more broad is because I can't help but agree with you immediately on Kipchoge being the most dominant athlete. If we're defining dominance, a sport with wide access that is challenging and someone wins. Because what he's done winning, what'd you say, 15 of 17 major marathons, that is equivalent to winning 15 Super Bowls. Um, Now, you could say that he doesn't have a team, so he's not dependent on external factors. So let's imagine a world in which in football, the only game was like a quarterback skills test. Would Tom Brady have won that 15 of 17 years? Probably not. Okay. Because, I mean, if you look at him, was he the best, you know, was he the best quarterback every year? No, because he had like Aaron Rodgers, you know. Who was who you you could argue for several of those years like Rodgers was the best quarterback or early in his career, you know, uh, a Peyton Manning, right? Um, now, so, no one on the New England coast is going to buy our book. I'm I'm just you know if we're saying he's the best at like, yeah, it, it's hard, but it, you know I I I get it, but I don't think. Even, you know, if you just look at the stats and look at what, what's happened, like Brady was dominant and his, his accolades are insane. But I think if you look at every year, like I don't think during, you know, his 15 of whatever years, he would be the best quarterback that year. I think you're al- probably right. He would always be up in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then in basketball, same thing. Someone like LeBron, maybe 10 years, but you've got Giannis, you've got KG, Kevin Garnett, when LeBron first came into the league. Um, other players that are not just more dominant at basketball, but more dominant athletes for a period of time. Um, man, basketball, those guys have just become so athletic. I all, Whenever we talk about basketball, I, I sound like a broken record, but... It's another conversation, like the quote-unquote good old days of basketball when it was MJ, Isaiah Thomas, Magic versus now. And everyone that says, well, they used to play defense, not everything used to be a fall, and there's probably some validity to that. But today, the best basketball players could also be phenomenal middle linebackers. Like the amount of size and power and strength while retaining the same kind of speed that was back in the MJ Isaiah Jordan days is phenomenal. Like I think John Stockton, one of the best point guards of all time, maybe he'd be a decent point guard in the NBA today. And I could be wrong. Who knows? Maybe he'd be phenomenal, but I just see him being clobbered by some of these guys because everyone's gotten so much bigger and stronger um, while maintaining that speed. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you, you make a good point. And this is another interesting uh, divergent from our original topic. But it, the, as the sport evolves and changes with training, nutrition, diet, and let's be honest, some performance-enhancing drugs in certain situations, like athletes are of a different breed and level now. I mean, you look at the size... You can look at any of those size comparison um, charts in the NBA, NFL, even MLB on what guys looked like 70s, 80s into the 90s compared to today. And it's 
it's astonishing the level of uh, difference that has occurred. Now, I'm going to make a statement that hopefully is not controversial. It's going to be controversial to some people because that's the world we live in today where everything is. Uh, in most sports, if you're just looking at raw times, raw power outputs, men perform significantly better than women, somewhere on the order of 10 to 20%. So, so far, we've just been talking like greatest athlete spectacle, you know, phenom, half human, half superhuman. Let's bound it now by sex, realizing that there are very real differences in performance based on sex. And let's talk about Serena Williams. Because I think there's a very, very valid argument that she and the duration of her career, the level that she played it, the fact that they play four major tournaments every single year. So it's not like she can just peak for one tournament like Kipchoge can in the marathon. Um, I think that there maybe you actually have the best argument for the greatest athlete of all time in terms of longevity, dominance in sport. And in terms of a uh, woman's athleticism and body mix of size, strength, speed, power. Yeah. You know, and I'm not a tennis uh, aficionado, but I can tell you this. I mean, 23 majors, whatever you call them is, is nuts. And, you know, the fact that she's been at that level, I think she won her first U S open and, Gosh, I think it was 1999 or 2000, and she yep, won. 1999. Her... I'm doing a fact check. Yeah, she won her last, and what was it? it? Was just a couple of years ago, 2017, maybe 2018. Um, which is in insane. Like that stretch of dominance, uh, that stretch of being on the top, is kind of mind blowing. So I I agree. I think she's got a very good and legitimate case and she's also in a sport that is um especially on the female side like it's you get paid pretty well there's lots of opportunities the only downside i would say from the sports side is it does take a little bit of um of work sometimes to get into that that kind of tennis world um which I think, again, she and her sister have kind of broken down and and paved the way for, for increased talent going into tennis. So it's an interesting argument. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, like, who's the second best tennis player? Probably Steffi Graf. Yeah, probably. Um, who won 22 Grand Slam titles to Serena's 23. Um. Yeah, what I would say there is Steffi Graf played a generation earlier when there was probably less access to tennis, particularly for black people, um, other people of color as well. But you look at Serena and Venus, like were there a Serena and Venus back then that just weren't allowed to go to the country club? I have to imagine yes. Um, so... Yeah, it's a. I think it's a strong case for someone like Serena to be up there with Kipchoge. Um, I guess where it gets hard is like Serena still loses a lot, but is that because tennis is such a different sport? So if Kipchoge had to run four marathons a year and peak four times, 
and just about everyone else did too, would he still be never losing, do you think? And this is a hypothetical, of course. No, I think he'd lose more. Um, because, again, and this is what makes it tough, is the marathon is there's you have bad luck, and there's bound to be things that are going to go wrong. And you Same have thing to, in a tennis tournament. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think you're more likely to lose in a tennis tournament because you play more often, right? That's I what mean, I mean. She, yeah. Like it, it's not this one race. Yeah. She played, I mean, her career, she's raced, I don't, or she's sorry, played over a thousand matches, you know? Right. So there's more of an opportunity to lose. There's more of an opportunity for things to go wrong. Kipchoge undoubtedly has been injured and been able to say, well, I'm instead of running London, I'm going to run Berlin this year. So pick and choose your spots. So it's like if there was a situation where Serena only had to play one to two matches a year, could be somewhat selective about the timing, and those matches were five sets, to give her the ability to really like settle in similar to a marathon would serena have won all 23 years i don't know but you could see it happening i think this is helping convince me that it's probably kipchoge and serena are up there like is a tie maybe so this is this is this is important here because i think if we can bring another sport in this is what i think separates um, definitely tennis and maybe even running from a little other sports. If you look at boxing, right, and Floyd Mayweather or Joe Lewis or whoever you want to pick here, is if Serena is on one far end of the spectrum of like she's got to show up at at least these four tournaments every year regardless, you know, and you're going to play the best in the world. Boxing is on the other extreme of you know, I might win, be the best in the world, but then I get to choose who challenges me. And I get to choose exactly when they show up and if I want to take on this fight. And then running is in the middle in the sense, well, I have to show up to these major marathons or this Olympics. And I'm going to undoubtedly face, you know, the many of the best in the world. But because you can only race probably max two marathons a year, there's some like wiggle room in there of it's not, you know, always this, always that. So I think that's an important framing that you just brought up there. Yeah. And then it makes me think like greatest writer of all time, maybe Tolstoy. Cause he did short stories, nonfiction essays, war and peace, which he calls a poem, but many people know it is like a door stopping novel. Um, and dominant, yeah. That I promised us that we were going to stick to athletes because otherwise this gets this just gets unwieldy. So I hear you on Mayweather, and it does make you wonder if Mayweather would have been beat if he didn't get to be so selective about who he fought and when he he fought. And the answer is probably yes. So we've got Kipchoge and Serena. Maybe we just start doing like a top 10 here to wrap things up because I, I, I don't think anyone is going to have it unless you want to throw in, you know, argue for Michael Phelps or Katie Ledecky or Carl Lewis in that same category as Kipchoge and Serena. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you can argue for all of those in that. I mean, that's I mean, let's be honest. Like, this is a unanswerable question. Right. And the, the people we're talking about could arguably all be in that top arena. All right. I still think that in my in my brain, Kipchoge and Serena are in a league of their own. Then I would say you've got Jordan, Brady, Phelps. Jordan, Brady, Phelps, I'm counting. Ledecky. Carl Lewis, and I know haters are going to hate LeBron. I'm going to put him up there. That would kind of be my second category. And this is excluding the cricket tier, cricketer, cricketeer, and Greco-Roman wrestler, just because we have no real knowledge. Pele is probably in that second category. It's from past times, so we don't, or Lionel Messi, like yeah. those those best soccer players. It. It, it, but there, and does hockey just get the shaft? Like, I never think of Wayne Gretzky when I think about best athlete. Wayne Gretzky, like, eh, I'd so, hang out with the guy, I'd get a beer with him. But greatest so, athlete, maybe. I mean, Wayne Gretzky is like, and I know a little bit of hockey because I followed it in my youth. But Wayne Gretzky fundamentally changed the sport and dominated to a level that was unprecedented, much in the way that Kipchoge does. The downside is, or not the downside. No one plays hockey. It's hockey, right? Yeah, and I don't. I can name a few hockey players: Steve Eiserman, Sergey Fedorov. Yeah, I mean, but if you look at if you look at Wayne Gretzky's stats, and I suggest the listeners do, just go look at his stats, and it's like it's like video game level of like what in the world compared to other people. Right? How many it's, Stanley Cups did he win? I, he didn't. That's the thing. I think he only won three or four. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. He's with the Greco-Roman wrestler and the cricketer. So, <laughs> but you know, it's funny. The cricketer and the Greco-Roman wrestler got the most uh, most uh, pushback on uh, on Twitter. People kept bringing these people up, and the I don't know anything about them. So, but the cricketer was from like the 1940s and essentially dominated to a level that is unheard of in. Any, any right, we're just excluding them because we we didn't yeah. take the time to get smart on that sport. And the Greco-Roman wrestler, I certainly wouldn't want to fight him. Yeah. But my argument there was, and I don't know much about him, but it was a Russian guy, which, you know, brings in some uh, other questions. But my question was, you know, as a six foot two, I think he was like six foot two, 260 pound dude, like... Are all of America's best potential Greco-Roman wrestlers like linebackers in the NFL? Or just eating ribs at my local barbecue in Asheville. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there's that's where it gets kind of crazy. But going back to your kind of categories, I think, you know, you can argue here and there. You could argue for a Jordan in the top or a Phelps in the top. Phelps' downfall, I think, again, is... It's twofold is there are a billion different events in swimming that, you know, swimmers are going to hate me, but it's like having the hundred, the one fifty, the 200, the two fifty all in track. Right. Yeah. Um, and the second part of swimming is you got to have a pool, man. Right. Which is, which is easier than you got to have an ice rink, man, but it's not right. still not easy. 
No, it's not football or basketball or soccer. And then triathlon comes into mind, and someone like Juan, Jan Ferdino or Alistair Brownlee or um, Chrissy Wellington would be the most dominant triathlete. And yeah, I mean, those sports just aren't as widely followed, but shit, Chrissy Wellington's got to be in that top tier. She won like, she's, well, it's, that's more similar to Kipchoge because you can kind of like pick and choose and compete in one Ironman a year and everything builds up to Kona. And I think Chrissy Wellington won that seven or eight times, but still not Kipchoge or Serena level in terms of dominance. Yeah. And I think there, again, you go back as, as I'm not trying to downplay it, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that all the best, you know, if we surveyed the world and found talent for every sport, I'm not convinced it's that likely or as likely that the best triathlete is doing triathlon. No, they're probably swimming, running, or cycling. Yeah. And that's not to downplay the sport. Like, Would you say the same thing about decathlon? The best decathlete? That's tough because the disciplines are so different. Yeah, that's tough. Like I, I can think and I say, well, these people, you know, a LeBron would be really good at this, this, and this, but would he be able to do all 10 events or... Yeah, he probably couldn't run that fast of a 1500. No. So, I don't know. That's what I mean. It's that it's every sport has this and this is where it's really And you could make the argument, I know we're going round and round and I promise we'll wrap, wrap this up, but you could make the argument that well soccer's the most global sport, so whoever dominates that could have the best claim because you know, there is it maybe running or sprint like something else is up there. But like in terms of global and hey, you're going to get paid if you're good. Yeah. I don't think anything tops soccer. No, not. And that's why I think Pele and Lionel Messi have got to be up in that in that tier and back to like the more kind of uh, subjective artistic element of it. I think soccer is very much in most people's mind, a sport in the same way as basketball is, where it combines all of these different aptitudes and qualities to be to be great versus just one narrow quality, such as a running or a swimming or a tennis is the same. So I think it also, yeah, it depends. Are we talking dominance in sport? Because if we're talking just best athlete, I think then it's LeBron, Serena, Messi, not Brady, because he's fairly narrow in what he can do. Um, Giannis, currently, he's got to do it for a longer period of time. Growth EQ fans, I just want to let you know, I dropped $148 on a swingman Giannis Antetokounmpo jersey. It's been backed up because apparently lots of other people were doing this too. I plan to wear it. It most events under a sport coat for the upcoming book launch. <laughs> um, go back, listen to that episode, read that post on the blog. Um, but we we really want to sign Giannis. We don't take sponsors for the podcast, but if we could get Giannis, this podcast would be sponsored by him because um, we're just in love with him. <laughs> well, maybe that's your answer right there. Who is the greatest of all time depends on who you're in love with at, at the moment. Right. And Giannis, the reason we're in love with Giannis, for those that haven't listened, is he can switch between like ferocity and intensity and chip on his shoulder and lightheartedness, playfulness, and fun. And he is like a workhorse in the best way possible. 
but also just doesn't take himself too seriously. And when we're at our best and when the people that we coach are at their best, like that's the kind of um, character that we're trying to instill because regardless of how many whatever you win, you're going to die. So might as well be happy and find some joy along the way. Um, so we love, we love Giannis. Giannis, if you're listening, we want you on the podcast. <laughs> this is this is Brad's dream. All right, so why don't we, why don't we wrap it up there? Impossible question to answer, but I think what we did get at here. Fresh is- off the episode, Steve, where we we ragged on Joe Rogan for always having hypotheticals. I know, I know. This is what happens when, you know, mood follows action and we got to have a podcast and we're like, let's just do something fun and throw it out there Uh, because we don't have, you know, millions of people listening. But we do appreciate those who are are listening. The idea here is just to get you thinking, you know, of the different parameters, you know, so much in sport we often think of, (laughs) of, well, you know, this is the best, this is what it takes, but the reality is it's more complex than that. And success is more complex than that. And domination is more complex than that. And often takes a, a quite a fair bit of luck. So. Yep. So with that, we appreciate you guys listening. Um, we'll be back to more usual programming next week. We hope that you enjoyed this fun foray into the world of unanswerable, superlative type questions uh, and please head over to the website. I'm going to get it right this time, www.thegrowtheq.com. Pre-order The Practice of Groundedness. It comes out in less than two weeks. Pre-orders definitely help us. It's a wonderful way to support the podcast and our work, and you get all kinds of bonus materials. So learn more on the website, uh, get that done, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.